Blog Talk Radio. topics, some pretty interesting topics, and today we have a topic that actually affects every single one of us, or at least I hope it will. Uh, The show that we're doing now is on aging, and uh, there are actually some pretty good things about aging, which I'm beginning to learn myself, and I'm very fortunate that I have Dr. Ken Delafield with us. Dr. Delafield, welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yes, he practices in San Diego, and he has uh, a gerontology uh, practice, and and I guess, you know, you've always worked with older adults in your practice, is that right? Tell us a little bit about how you came to make that decision, and is it okay if I call you Ken? Yes, it it is perfectly fine to call me Ken. Okay, um, terrific. You know, I first recognized that I had a connection with older adults through my grandmother, when I was in high school, my grandmother developed uh, dementia, and uh, we didn't know exactly what it was at the time, but it turns out it was Alzheimer's disease, and she was placed in a nursing home. And my parents had moved from Los Angeles to the East Coast, and I stayed in Los Angeles to complete my high school. So it was part of my responsibility to visit my grandmother. So every other Friday night, I'd take my girlfriend on a date and we'd go to the nursing home. And I found that I just loved that environment, that I loved connecting with my grandmother in terms of helping her become oriented to who I was or surroundings. And at some point, when I would walk into the nursing home, there'd be a line of residents just waiting to say hi to me, connect with me. And I realized I had just kind of this natural talent to connect with older adults who were going through difficult times. And when I went to nursing school, I was fortunate that there was a very rare elective on gerontology And then from an academic perspective, that started to excite me, the study of what happens as we grow older. And I've just kind of stayed with that uh, for the rest of my career. Well, I think you probably have a a number of people who are very happy that you did. Um, (laughs) Well, we were off air talking a little bit, and Ken told me that he has always had a waiting list for people who uh, would like to come and talk with him about aging issues. Ken... Who makes up mm-hmm. your patients? Is it, is it the people themselves who are getting older, who have questions or concerns, or is it their families? Who comes to you? Who sees you? Well, that's a, a wonderful question, that um, the population of older adults I see is rather diverse. Um, I'll see people who contact me, like any other, if you will, client who wants to meet with a psychologist, um, and they're identified for themselves that they're struggling with some of the developmental challenges of growing older. They're dealing with things like having to give up their car or pressure from their families to move, and they'd like to just talk with me to sort out those issues for them. Frequently, families will contact me, and for a number of years, um, what I, my practice was on neuropsychology. So these were evaluations to determine the um, kind of cognitive and functional abilities of older adults because the family members were concerned that their parents were unsafe, not making good judgment, and often family members would fight between each other about what they thought mom or dad should do. And so I would come in and I would do these evaluations to really kind of get to know somebody's strengths and weaknesses at their best and at their worst. And I could give them some feedback about the kind of environments that um, might allow for a greater safety or perhaps more autonomy. And it would allow the family to have some, if you will, accurate data about the functioning of one of their parents so that they weren't fighting amongst each other. Because one of the challenges about growing older 
is that when we're at our best, our functioning doesn't look like it's declined much at all. But because (laughs) we have such little reserve, meaning that the difference between us being at our best and sort of being at our worst is very narrow. So older adults who develop infections, dehydration, constipation, um, pneumonias, they can go overnight from doing quite well to looking rather um, unable to care for themselves. And so family members would see their parents at different phases of their level of functioning and start to fight about what mom and dad could do or not do. So I would help them kind of sort that out. And frequently, when an older adult was looking like they're declining, in the general population, we just had this expectation, well, they must be dementing. And more times than not, it's not any kind of progressive um, loss of functioning. It's that they're going through something acute, that when the person is stabilized and their health returns... They're doing just like they were three weeks earlier. So part of my job was to help families appreciate that. I've heard that a lot, that sometimes people assume that the elder um, family member is completely in decline when, in fact, it's an issue of adjusting a medicine or, you know, something like that, something relatively simple. That's right. Um, We're so much more susceptible to stress, whether it's, coming from physical um, changes or psychological changes or environmental changes. In older adults, it takes them more time to adapt. So while they're in the process of adapting, they look very different than they do when they sort of complete that process and start um, working with um, the, the things they're going through and they recover. And People prematurely try to um, kind of place their their um, often negative views of what happens when we grow older and interpret a change as something that is the start of the downhill slide. And unfortunately, yeah. older adults often have that same expectation. So they get very frightened when something is happening to them and they frequently begin to worry that this, in fact, is the start of a major decline. um, But don't we all feel that way? I mean, I just saw an article yesterday where it said, how to tell whether you should be concerned about your memory loss. And it was a quiz on you misplace your keys frequently. And, uh, (laughs) you know, and another question was, you know, so-and-so said she saw you the other day and you don't recall seeing her. And the idea being to evaluate whether your memory loss was just normal memory glitches or whether you were having some sort of, and the fact that they just, you know, have that out for everyone tells me that, you know, I mean, whenever we can't remember somebody's name or whatever, we assume that, oh boy, here we go, you know. Memory is such an important part of us feeling competent, capable, being able to manage our lives. And you're right, even at younger ages, if we start to feel like our memory is going, it's very frightening. The, the difference, perhaps, is as we grow older, you become much more aware of a sense of vulnerability. And when we're younger, we often worry, but we have some sense that we can rise to the challenge, we can problem-solve it, that um, it's something that is temporary. But when you're 80 and 90, there's a sense of, can I really manage what is happening to me? Well, you know, that, Ken, that was one of the questions that I had. I remembered my father, and my father was a laborer. He was a factory worker. He was uh, he was a very interesting person because he was uh, the only boy next to the youngest in a family of eight girls. And so he, I always say my father was the first feminist I ever knew, but he was this rough, tough, you know, manual laborer, poured iron, fixed cars, you know, kind of guy. And uh, I noticed that... When he was older, he and my mother got a motorhome and did that traveling around the country thing, and they came out to visit me. And my father showed me that he had a baseball bat behind his seat. And I went, why do you have that? 
And he said, then if, any, if anybody tries to mess with me, I've got this. And I remember being so astounded that my powerful father, who, you know, who always was just the epitome of strength to me, would feel like he had to have a baseball bat to protect himself. It's a, it's a very important theme as people grow older, that sense of vulnerability and what to do because how people um, in their younger years go about um, that sense of self-protection is very different as you grow older. And as you know, particularly it's true for men because we we often have this, um, for men, the sense that we are conquerors. We are in charge of things. We could rise to the occasion. And at some point you begin to realize that, wow, um, that isn't quite possible. Um, and it can be very frightening um, Yet at the same time, it's a wonderful developmental challenge. Begin to see yourself not in your role identity, father, worker, um, because as those roles disappear, the question becomes, well, then who am I? And how do I be in the world in a way that I can feel safe and confident and comfortable? And it's a, it's a time of significant transformation as people begin to really um, invent themselves over again. Well, if you'd like to join our conversation, and I hope you would, because I think it's a topic that affects all of us at one end or the other, um, please give us a call, 646-378-0430. That's 646-378-0430. 0430 and if you don't feel like speaking you can always join our chat room and just click on the chat room on the web page and uh, type in your question or your comment and I'll be happy to share it for you so 646-378-0430 well you know Ken one of the things that I'm noticing as I get older and I was going to ask you about the whole, you know, whether there are differences in genders. You mentioned this this feeling of powerlessness and vulnerability uh, uh, yes. tending to affect men a lot more than women. Um, one of the things that I noticed among my friends is it seems like the women, as we age, we're just becoming go-getters. You know, we're out there trying new things, and uh, but it seems like some of the men are not. It seems like I, I, I think of it as so many of my women friends are just opening up, whereas I see so many of my male friends just kind of closing in. Does that make sense, and is that typical, or do I just hang out with a weird crowd? You know, it's it's a really wonderful observation on your part. Um, about 30 years ago, um, the area of gerontology um, that was looking at, um, if you will, the transition from middle age to older age began looking at the experience of retirement. And one of the themes was one you just described, that um, men um, lose the roles in which they identified um, kind of who they were uh, when they retire. And often they feel very lost without those roles. Women, at the same time, often when their husbands retire, they start to feel free. They're feeling confident. They want to go out in the world and explore and and do some of the things they've never had a chance to do. And it can be very challenging for a couple um, because they're sort of in different places in in their life course. So I hear a lot of women whose husbands retire saying that they their husbands is are, are getting is getting on their nerves that he's just hanging around all the time or he'll decide that he can manage that you know if, if her role has been uh, household management he'll decide he can somehow or other change systems that she's developed over the years and make them more efficient or whatever and it drives the women nuts. <laughs> a is that, very common theme. You know, men <laughs> like to be in charge. They like to master their environment, and they often had, haven't paid much attention to the running of the house. And now that they're at home, they begin to say, well, you should do it this way. You should do it that way. Why are we doing this? <laughs> and it's been going on for 30 years just fine. <laughs> yeah. 
That's funny. I, I mean, it really is funny. I, I can see, though, that it would be a huge adjustment. One of the things that I noticed with my father, my father always had so many interests. He was a woodworker, and he uh, he 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 was not um, well educated, but he always had. He always read the newspaper, and he always read uh, Workbench magazine on woodworking, mm-hmm. and so he kept up with what was going on in in the world, and he kept up with his interests, and he loved people. I thought, and, and he had a crappy job, you know, I mean, for years he poured iron in a foundry. So I thought of anyone in this world who will adjust well to retirement, it will be my father. It will free him up to, to you know, do some of the things that he likes. And, and Wrong. <laughs> wrong. He had, a, I think it was almost a two-year adjustment where he felt worthless and useless, and I was just so shocked by that. Is that typical, and is there a way to change that or mitigate those those problems? Well, in general, people's fantasies about what it's going to be like when they retire don't match their reality. And when human beings find that what they had anticipated isn't happening, um, it can be very frightening. And people can get very lost because the roadmap that they had mastered much of their life, they're now in a foreign country and don't have a map about what to do. And so generally everybody at some level really struggle because the competencies, the skills that allow them to master their life when they were younger, in many ways start to become skills that are no longer um, that important and new set of skills have to be developed. And that sort of happens in a trial and error process. So all these years when we uh, think of older people as just um, winding down, in fact, it's not a winding down at all. It's a readjustment and a re-gearing in order to age. Is that what you're telling me? It's one of the things I most love about spending time with older adults because the you know at every age um, for human beings – we have kind of expected developmental challenges. And as a culture, we sort of know the challenges from birth to, say, 60 years old. And we enter those periods knowing what it is that we're going to have to deal with and be challenged and kind of grow to master that time period, that age. But older adults, they're often find this time where they don't have a guide. They don't have a road map. Um, and part of my job as a general psychologist is to kind of help them know the kinds of challenges that they're probably going to face and how to use them as opportunities not to be defeated by them, but like all developmental challenges, you grow as you learn to face them. So, for example, the ability to handle adversity and change that comes up more and more and more as we grow older. But as one learns to manage adversity and how to keep making adjustments around things that in many ways you didn't have anything to do with uh, what you have to adjust to. Your vision is changing, your hearing is changing, your endurance is changing. Um, All sorts of things are happening to you. And starting to find another source of strength for dealing with things that you can't control is really a challenge of older age and not of younger age that much. Well, Um, is it more of a challenge? Because we tend to think of older people as being more isolated. Um, we mm-hmm. older people can't just hop in the car and run down the road. I mean, oftentimes they they have transportation issues, or you know, just getting up and moving around. Sometimes there are physical limitations. So we're. It sounds to me like what we're saying is that older people have to adjust just like teenagers adjust, but they have to do it with fewer resources and more limitations. I think that's true. As teenagers, we have parents to guide us. But who's going to guide the person who's 70, whose children may have moved away, that their neighbors have changed, that their um, friends perhaps um, have either passed away or that um, 
the ability for them to arrange to get together is now more complicated. And so it's often a a journey where um, you don't, like you say, have the um, guidance and support that um, we have when we're younger. One of the natural things that happen when we grow older is our world shrinks. It shrinks in a, in a physical way. People who are in large homes at some point can't manage them, and so they go to smaller environments. Their circle of friends and family gets smaller. Their ability to go out and kind of expand into their communities by going to plays and the parks that starts to become more difficult to do. And, but instead of seeing that injustice, if you will, one loss after another after another, all sorts of other opportunities come up. Um, so one begins to recognize what's most important to them. And they don't worry about the things they used to worry about that simply are just not that important. So you're also letting go of things that have been burdens to you as well. That's an interesting phrase, the letting go, and I want to get back to that. But first we have a caller I'd like to go to. And uh, where are you, caller? Oh, dear, I'm not clicking on my caller. Here we go. Caller, are you there? Hello? Okay. Well, caller, I will try and get back to you. Ken, are you with me? Mm Mm-hmm. Good, good. Okay, right well, um, we have, um, I'm not quite sure uh, what's going on with my caller here. Let me try one more thing. Okay, you're okay, finally caller, got it. I'm on, there? I'm on, I'm on. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. There okay. we go. Sorry about that. Te- okay. Technology is not my friend. What can I say? Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I guess that. Okay. Um, <laughs> what, psychologist what, is what is your first name, caller? Joe. Joe, and, thank you. And yeah. what, what area of the country are you calling from? Montana. Oh, I was just in Montana last week. How Wonderful. about that? Yeah, it's great yeah. company. Okay, yeah. the, psych- the psychologist so, Joe, what's your, what? what's your comment? Okay. The psychologist was finally getting down to near the nitty-gritty, just in his last few statements. When a person is getting old, and I know uh, some, some people who are in their 60s, retired, there's not much to do. When you've been working eight hours a day, ten hours a day, sometimes on the weekends, and now all of a sudden your world, as he says, shrinks because the job is gone, you don't have anything to do. Now, if old people don't have a community of other older people with which they can gather around and play cards or talk or go to dances or go to movies together, they're going to be lost. It's just as simple as that. So as he was finally getting down to, um, if you're if you're in an empty nest, the kids have gone, they've grown up, they've got kids of their own, they moved out. Um, now, especially if you're married, geriatrics are there now finally settling in to, st- to staying with one another 24 hours a day. They can find each other boring. So that's another reason why um, people in their 60s, 70s, and 70s who have retired seem to have found the world um, a foreign place. Now, am I getting warm, Doc? You're doing great. Okay. So that's the simple reason. If you have something to do, anybody of any age um, will find some sort of fulfillment in, in that particular age. So if you're 60 years old and you've got a bunch of friends um, who are 60, 65, and you're going to amusement parks together, visiting each other's houses together, it's cool. Okay, now this is what I I've been I I know from uh, from people that are old. So, it's simple. If they have activities, they'll survive. If they don't have activities, they're going to find the world a strange place. Because I was listening to you two going back and forth the generalities, and I was saying, just get down to specifics. <laughs> just, well, thank you for giving us direction here, Ken. I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> But I think that actually it's on my list to talk about purpose, and I think that that's what you're saying, that, you know, we we need a purpose. And when we're younger, it's easier. Our purpose is to raise our children. Our purpose is to buy the house. Our purpose is to, you know, blah, blah, blah. But when we get older, what's our purpose? Is that what you're saying? 
No, it's partially oh. what I'm saying, but it's not what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not bringing in any type of existentialism about you have to wake up in the morning and find a purpose in life. If you have something to do, that's your purpose. When we're kids, every day is a new day, right? Mm-hmm. When we go to yes. school, everything that we learn is brand new. But let's say we had an older brother, and that brother went through the same stuff that we went through. He's going he's to find it, yeah, hey, been there, done that. So when you're in your 60s and 70s, you've been there and done that. I have found that when older people do not have a bunch of other older people to hang out with, they're lost. But if they do, everything's fine because they have their friends that they can go and and hang out with. Otherwise, in this society, when you're over 60, 65, you're disposable. This is a youth-oriented society. So old people... If they have all their older people, that's why they go to Florida. They flock to Florida. <laughs> so, that, so, that, so they can hang out with the other wrinkles there. And they, can, they may not like, you know, the fact that they're older. But they have people there who's, who are not going to look at them and say, you know, with their looks, eh, what are you doing here? So that's my um, layman's opinion. All right, I'll okay. let you guys go well, back to this. Let, let me um, okay. just... just toss in something here in my opinion and then we'll then we'll let the the good doctor decide which of us is the uh, the right track here i disagree with you that you need Mm -hmm. other older people i find that as i'm aging i'm hanging more and more with younger people like 10 20 years younger than me um they're interesting they're doing some of the same things that i'm doing um and what, what was that old, you know, uh, what was the Saturday Night Live thing? And by golly, they like me. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh-huh. I, I think that uh, I have some friends who the minute they turned 55, they couldn't wait to get into those senior residencies, you know, communities. I think that's awful. I mean, I think it would be terrible to not be able to walk out your back door and hear children laughing somewhere. Or, uh, I, I, So I disagree with you, I think, on that issue. I think that you don't have to have older people necessarily. I don't think that all the people who are in their 60s have to flock together and go to Florida. I think it would be kind of boring, actually. So that's my two cents worth, and now, Ken, we're going to toss it to you. (laughs) Which of us is right? (laughs) Well, um, I think you're both right. One of the things we want to remind remind ourselves that um, when we talk about older adults, we're really not um, talking about one group. 60-year-olds are very different than 70-year-olds, and 70-year-olds are very different than 80-year-olds, and 80-year-olds are very different than 90-year-olds. So what one needs at kind of decade by decade starts to change rather significantly. And, Joe, one of the things you point out is because our worlds, for a lot of reasons, tend to shrink, mm-hmm. we have to make a tremendous effort Stay engaged, to be involved, to be with people, to do activities that you still can do and let go of the activities you can no longer do. So it's continuously creating um, a rich life. And um, sometimes uh, it becomes very difficult to do um, in your own home um, if you become isolated. And for many people in their 70s and 80s and 90s, moving into a community where there is a sense of deep understanding of how people are are having to confront um, losses, that they're they're supporting each other in terms of positive attitudes, there's built-in activities and socialization, Uh, there are buses that take them out in the community to go to museums and theater, and for many people, um, that becomes a, a lifesaver for them. And yet there are others, for example, my father, who's 92, he lives in his own home in a, in a community of older adults, 55 and older, and they have an activities room and they have all sorts of clubs. And he does not ever want to move into a retirement community, but he's built in many of the same um, opportunities that one would have in a retirement community. So isolation is really an enemy of well-being as we grow older. Well, that's the point I was trying to get to. And also, uh, the hostess is right. You don't have to hang out with older people of your own age in order to feel worthwhile. If you're hanging out with anybody that accepts you, regardless of their age, then you're doing fine. 
for most of the time when people retire, they have nothing to do, no place to go. The friends have died, families have died, the friends have moved out. Um, so if a person, such as the hostess, if they can find somebody who's 20 years uh, older, I mean 20 years younger, and accepting them, nothing wrong with that at all. And yeah. if somebody's 60, 70, or if they're hanging out with other people their age and they like it, cool. And Doc, you're right. You know, about isolation. Okay, now, this is what I have, um, from my experiences, have gathered. Now, maybe my experience, my observations are wrong, but this is what I feel old people pretty much feel. As long as they have some place to go with people they like, they're going to do better than without them. But also, um, the hostess is also right, but if they have more of a purpose, let's say something which gives them internal meaning that'll add to it but if they don't have it they can, and if they still have friends to hang out with they're going to do just fine without it they're going to just die on the vine well i appreciate your insight joe thank you very much may i just before we go um can i ask you how your age or age no <laughs> <laughs> well i can ask <laughs> okay, yeah, you can ask. Okay, you have freedom of speech. Okay. Um, I, I was just curious whether, you, you know, you, you consider yourself as part of the demographic we're talking about or whether you consider your, your parents that age or, you know, uh, I, I guess what I'm saying is on what do you base your, what experience like do you said, base Like I said, observations, your... people I know. Um, yeah. And uh, especially when I was younger, I never thought of older people as being different. Hmm. And they relate to me because I talk to them. It's yeah. as simple as that. If you don't, <laughs> it's amazing to me how people, uh, when they're older, have very few other people actually just talk to them or think of them as being even there. I remember That's one time point. I, w- I was going into a store, and there was a woman who was coming out, and she was, I don't know, maybe 75. And nobody opened the door for her. There was a bunch of kids. It was the time of day when the kids were let out of school. And the kids were coming in and out of the store because she had to push open the door herself. And she was even saying, <laughs> she was even saying, and she wasn't saying it softly. She was saying, savages, because they were, they were ignoring her. And I'm looking at this social phenomenon, and I'm thinking, oh, poor woman, you know. But she has been ignored. When I was younger, talked to people who were older. I don't. We got along fine. So it's yeah. my experiences, my observations. In any case, like I said, I'll let you two go back to your show. Okay. Right? Well, thanks for calling, Joe. I think you you added something. And uh, enjoy Montana. Beautiful, beautiful it territory. Is. It is. Okay. <laughs> bye bye. Bye bye. Bye, Joe. So thank you, Ken. Thanks. Oh, mm-hmm. A vibrant caller. Uh, I wish he would have told us how old he is, though. So I'd, I'd have an <laughs> idea. Um, But um, uh, I think that, you know, the idea of we may, you know, not agree with the terminology, but I think that idea of purpose, I've seen this in my own life even when I was young. If I felt like I didn't really have a purpose, if there really wasn't a reason for me to be around there, I got really depressed and, and... you know, I, life was not good, and it didn't. I'm, I can't imagine it would be any different if you added twenty, thirty, or forty years to that feeling. So, in our culture, so much of our emphasis and so much of our purpose comes from our um, employment. Yes. I have heard, and maybe this is old-fashioned. Maybe this isn't hold true anymore. Um, but. So many men in the past seem to have a harder time with retirement and getting older than women. Is it because a lot of women, for a lot of women, taking care of the household and the environment was the purpose, and that didn't change? I've also heard older women complain that, you know, he gets to retire and they don't. They still have to do the, the household chores and all that kind of stuff. And is that different? With women, you know, with young women now, is that going to be different in 25 years because of changing roles for women? Okay, so you have well, you, you have three sentences asked, you can answer all that question in. That's right. Well, yeah, there's several questions in that. Yes. Um, let me start with the one about. I tend about, to riff. Uh, no. Let me start with the one about kind of what in in gerontological research we call the cohort effect, meaning that. What we know now 
about the experience of um, older adults is from a population that lived through a particular time period. So what we know now about 80 and 9-year-olds and people over 100 are from people who went through the Great Depression, World War II, um, that they, they lived in a very different time period than, um, for example, the baby boomers when uh, they become 80 and 90. There's a very good likelihood that they're going to approach that time in their lives very differently than the current group of older adults. Um, so it's very hard. I mean, it's kind of exciting now in the retirement communities. They're they're all trying to second guess, um, if you will, what their new customers are going to look like, and they're redesigning their communities for the baby boomers. So, for example, initially, none of the retirement communities had access to Wi-Fi, um, their libraries didn't have computers, that uh, the music they played was from the 30s and 40s, and they recognize that they have to reinvent themselves to um, relate to older adults from the baby boom generation. Um, so it's kind of a very exciting time to, to think about um, what the next generation of older adults are going to be like. The other thing that's changed because we have so much more understanding of how to promote health in terms of nutrition, exercise, psychological processes like mindfulness and meditation, that um, if we go back in time and we looked at a 70-year-old or an 80-year-old in the turn of the century, they looked very old. Um, and now, if you look at a 780-year-old, they're often vibrant, high energy, involved. Um, so I can't imagine what it's going to be like for the baby boomers when they're 80. Well, if you look at the, if you believe the commercials for, for ARP and, you know, I mean, anything, you believe, I mean, gosh, you know, I can't wait to be an old person because they get out and they do stuff and they <laughs> ski and they, you know, <laughs> they take road trips and they, you know, they know the Internet and they, you know, I'm I'm thinking of that one commercial in particular where the young girl, uh, perhaps you've seen it, it's really clever, where the young girl is at her, um, uh, I guess she's coming home or trying to reach her parents on the phone or so, somehow or other she's uh, assuming that it's, you know, like 9.30 at night or something and, and she her parents are uh, in bed and she's feeling too bad about her parents being, you know, uh, kind of at the end of their lives and they really should get out and have friends like she has. 342 friends and she goes on her internet and she's going you know back and forth with the internet and her internet friends meanwhile the screen flashes to her parents who are out dancing and having a wonderful time you know in person mm -hmm. with real great people and uh, you know it's it's kind of an i find that a very interesting juxtaposition because the commercials that we see now are for those extremely vibrant reasonably young retirees and comparing it to their children, who really are not doing quite as much, at least that's the image. Um, I suspect that that's um, somewhat false advertising. Am I correct there? <laughs> well, you know, part of the um, uh, the variable that makes that picture look uh, reasonable is it's somebody who has um, um, a financial uh, arrangement where they can do those things. And if you think about our current generation of older adults, the vast majority of them are living off of uh, retirement uh, pensions. The current baby boomers, there's going to be a very small percentage that will have set incomes for life, so it's, it's going to be based on what they saved. And so partly um, how we are our lifestyle as we grow older is going to be dependent on how much money you have. That's true. At some, at some point, you're not going to be bringing in income, so you're going to have to live off your savings. Hmm. And that becomes um, a huge issue. It does. Um, many, many older adults uh, who have not saved, their whole income comes from Social Security. And one has to live a very modest life if their whole income is from Social Security. 
it doesn't mean at all that you can't be quite happy and content, but the picture you describe that we see on the television won't be their lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, in fact, that's probably the case in a, for for most of the advertising. I mean, I uh, I think that uh, a lot of us think that everybody lives like they do in the ads, and, of course, that's not the case at all by any stretch of the imagination uh, for most people. But you bring up a good point, which is, you know, financial security. How much of the worry and uh, problems that older people endure have to do with finances? Well, it's starting to look like um, how it is looking for younger people in that the middle class is sort of disappearing. And so you have, for example, amazing retirement communities that are very expensive and the, um, the lifestyle they live is completely different than someone living in a um, single-room apartment by themselves on Social Security. And you're seeing less and less a lifestyle in between those two. The um, challenge for us as a society is that the proportion of older adults has been significantly increasing in the United States and even around the world. And um, right now, about 13% of the U.S. population are over the age of 65, and that's going to continue to grow. And the fastest-growing segment of older adults are those 80 and above. And so as a culture, as a um, 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 we're going to have to find ways to support older adults. Otherwise, um, we're going to have this significant group of people who are struggling. Well, and I just read that uh, they're not going to do a cost of living increase for Social Security for next year. Yes. And I think, I could have this wrong, but I also read that um, health care costs for those on Social Security, uh, on Medicare, are slated to go up as well. So that That's doesn't correct. bode well. <laughs> that doesn't bode well. Um, let's. You know, I, I, one of the things that challenges about when we think about growing older is when we start to list so many of these difficult challenges, it creates a sense of fear. How will I handle those kinds of things? But the reality is that when we look at older adults who, in fact, do face the challenges of, of finances, of health, um, that the vast majority are doing just fine. The picture of older adults being depressed and worried tends not to be the reality for the vast majority of older adults despite their income or health, or health status. Hmm. Let's talk a little bit about special communities. Um, uh, minority communities, uh, lesbians, gays, uh, bisexual, transgendered. Um, do the folks in those communities, are, are their aging experiences and uh, challenges similar, or are there any, is there anything different for those communities that, that, that as, we, as we age? Well, you know, it's, it's, um, I can tell you um, from um, an experience level, but because um, it's really this is the first generation where there's a significant number of people who identify in such unique ways that we really don't, we haven't had a chance to study them as they become 60 and 70 and 80. So it's, it's very much um, a kind of projection of what we think looking at how um, they have changed and developed um, over the other time period that they've already accomplished. So one of the things we notice is that they've had to deal with discrimination and stereotypes. And in many ways, um, they've learned a kind of a strength that many people never have learned about how to um, have a sense of uh, self-confidence, self-acceptance, about learning to be themselves and all of those are wonderful strengths 
as we approach older age that um, just because of the market of um, a growing segment, if you will, of people that have not been marketed to, we're finding that um, that just like everything else, when there is an opportunity to cater to a, 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 a growing new population, we start to find new services and products and and opportunities for lifestyle um, because um, they're, if you will, a market. So, for example, in retirement communities, um, it was very rare for this current generation to have people who were um, gay, lesbians, bisexual, transgendered, and now they're actually beginning to look at policies and procedures to allow for um, such a diverse population. And in retirement communities, there is this unique integration of people who normally wouldn't be interacting with each other. And so I, I think we're going to find a very rich environment where people can be very unique and actually fit in very well into a diverse, older adult community. That sounds hopeful. <laughs> um, one of the things that we touched on but we didn't really explore was we tend to think, I think I think sometimes we tend to stereotype the older person as lonely and depressed. Mm. Um, and is that really, I mean, is that something that we really have to watch out for or is that something that uh, is more of a stereotype than a reality? And what if we have an older person in our lives who is experiencing depression and loneliness? What can we do about that? Mm -hmm. Well, the good news is that rates of depression and anxiety, um, when we look at epidemiological studies, are much lower for older adults than the general population. So the statistics don't match the stereotype. Um, in terms of the issue of people struggling as they're aging, there's no escaping that. It's a challenging time. And some people really need some guidance, a framework, some strategies to learn how to um, not be, if you will, defeated, but rise to the occasion of the challenges that they cannot run from. Some people tend to do it more naturally, and some people, they really do need some guidance, um, some reminders about how they can take who they are, their strengths, and apply them in different ways to the new challenges that they're facing in their lives. But, you know, it's, it's just astonishing the ability of human beings to find ways to adapt and work with changing conditions. Um, so one of the biggest challenges as we grow older is that the things that gave you meaning in your life yeah. that were very specific to actual kind of uh, events, um, uh -huh. going to theater, um, playing tennis, many of the things that, that gave us richness in our lives at some point, we may not be able to access because of uh, normal changes with vision, hearing, ambulation. Um, and so part of the challenge, a developmental challenge, is to keep discovering and learning new ways to be involved and active and letting go of the ways that are no longer possible and do it with a sense of, I can let go of these things. I can grow and turn my attention to new opportunities. So optimism is a very important quality for success in aging. But optimism is that you can just pull out of the sky. Being optimistic is a, a huge skill that a lot of people don't have and just can't create. How do how do we become optimistic? That's a whole different show, isn't it? It sort of is, um, <laughs> because 
because optimism turns out it looks like there is some um, kind of uh, personality characteristics that we sort of have when we're born around optimism and pessimism. But like any genetic trait, it's still very adaptable. So some people are going to find being optimistic just natural and who they are at every age in their life. But it doesn't mean people who, if you will, are naturally less optimistic, in fact, cannot learn it. Um, And one of the challenges for uh, families is that they move to playing cheerleader with an older adult. You can do this. You can be positive, and then family members get very frustrated when cheerleading doesn't work. Uh-huh. There are yeah. there are ways of developing these qualities, but they, if you will, they 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 require kind of a specialized knowledge and skill, which is part of what I offer in my role as a general psychologist. When cheerleading isn't enough. Let's talk about sex and dating and mm-hmm. sexually transmitted diseases. Mm-hmm. The popular press has led us to believe that, you know, uh, all of these old folks are just in the nursing homes screwing around like bunnies and passing around diseases as if they were teenagers. Is that mm-hmm. in fact true? Because if so, I can't wait. No, I mean, <laughs> 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 but uh, is that in fact the case? Is that an issue? Is that a problem? You know, it's a growing problem um, for a lot of different reasons. One is some of these sexually transmitted diseases were very limited to certain populations. But now, of course, we know that um, they are now much more spread out across a population, across economic levels, religious levels, age levels, And so, um, particularly for people who are in their 60s and 70s, that there really now is the same kind of advice that teenagers get. Use condoms. Um, You know, talk about um, um, how to have safe sex with your partners. Skills that older adults probably never learned when they were teenagers, but turn out that they can be very helpful now. Um, many people in my uh, practice are older adults who have remarried, and they don't know each other's sexual histories, and they don't think about talking about it, uh, talking about private health um, issues, but they're beginning to recognize that it's important to do so. So are there classes offered for senior citizens who are becoming sexually active again or something like that? Yeah, so you're you're in California, you're in the you're in the big city here. So I'm assuming yes. that your city would be a trendsetter in something like this. Am I assuming wrong? <laughs> well, you know, California in general has always been a bit of a trendsetter in terms of looking at lifestyles and openness blue areas. So I I think you're right about that. But even in even in Southern California, where I practice, it's still very difficult to talk openly about these topics. And yet, for example, I've given presentations to two or three hundred seniors at retirement communities about sexuality and sex, and it's been really well received. And there's actually quite an interest in it because, like you noticed. It's not as if there isn't significant sexual activity going on when people have access to partners. What One of the things that we do with our senior citizens, it seems to me, I hope this is changing, but we tend to make them, we, we tend to infantilize them. We, we make them children again. Um, and do we really need to do that? Well, when I started in the field, um, people would, in terms of like caregivers, healthcare workers, it was so common to refer to older people as honey and dear, and um, it was um, it, it was not respectful, and it was relating to someone as a, 
stereotype. I gave a speech recently um, about looking at men who have had careers of, of great power, presidents, governors, entertainers, people of high status and high power. And what happens to them when they become 80 and 90 and frail and how they have to adapt to not being able to rely on the um, power that they've commanded in life. So you can, for example, have gone to uh, out to dinner with a governor who is now 85, and at the cash register, he, the, they were saying, well, okay, dear, um, let me bring you over to a nice little table and make sure if you have any need, I'll be right there. And they may be trying to be very helpful, but if they only knew who this person is and has been and their competencies, they probably wouldn't address the person that way. You can be helpful to somebody. You can work with the realities of growing dependency um, and frailty and still appreciate that this person also is somebody that has a richness that isn't reflected in how they look and how they're functioning, but in fact is still present and can be tapped into. Well, don't we do that across generations, though? I mean, if you if you see a woman who doesn't fit a certain image, then we tend to think dismiss that person. I mean, I, I'm thinking of a woman I know who's extremely obese, um, and she is the head of a large corporation, and she's very powerful and very well-respected, and she's constantly being treated as if she's, you know, just nothing um, yes. because of her appearance. Uh, I, I think we do that across age groups in our culture. We we make assumptions based on appearance that have nothing to do with reality. Um, that's my observation. I'm not a pro at this, but it's it seems to me that what you're saying is pretty consistent with what, the, what we do across all generations, maybe just ratcheted up for senior citizens. Um, well, you know, I, I I'm looking at our clock. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm looking at our clock, and I'm going, where did this time go? Because I have, uh, we kind of went over the little notes that I was talking about, you know, that we were going to talk mm-hmm. about, and, and one of the things, we, there is a whole list we didn't get to. I mean, one of the things was I wanted to talk about reminiscence and the importance for senior citizens, for reminiscence, and how that becomes a more significant part of our lives. But we got two minutes. I don't think we can discuss it two minutes. Do you? <laughs> well, I, I can say that part of the challenges of growing older is to integrate the qualities that you've developed all your life. You're not a different person, but yet um, you are, in fact, at a different time in your life. And we don't ever want to forget who we have been at different ages and they keep making that present in our lives. But how to do that can be very challenging. Um, And part of reminiscing as a therapy is a way to help people integrate and not let go of the things that they've been all their life. Well, and I think that it's very important. I personally believe, you know, we live in a culture of get over it, move on, but I think there's real significance in revisiting our pasts and the experiences that we've had, and it doesn't have to be sad or maudlin or bitter or any of those adjectives that we tend to associate with um, revisiting the past. I think that there is growth, and I think that as we age, we do grow. And revisiting some of those things, we look at them in a completely different way. That's just my two cents worth. (laughs) Um, You you know, that's my experience as well. Oh, good, good. I've been I've been validated. Yay! Um, one of the things that I try to do every week is to end our show with a quote. I thank you so much, Ken. Thank you, Dr. Delafield, for being with us. And the quote there are so many quote, great quotes on aging, but this one is from Robert Frost, and I think that this kind of sums it up in a positive way. Robert Frost said, "The afternoon knows what the morning never suspected," hmm. and I like that. Because I think that when we do reach the afternoon, it, it, it's a gift. We see things and we uh, examine things and we are able to explore things and 
things that we were never able to do when we were younger. And I don't know about you, Ken, but I'm I'm looking forward to for, for more of that. Thank you so much for joining us on Three Women, Three Ways. Please join us again next week when we again explore a rather tough topic, but it's going to be a good one.